My name is Cindy Palm. I'm a reporter with Global News here in Toronto. And in my spare time, other than talking a lot, I like to play tennis and go scuba diving. Live from Pacific Junction Hotel, Girth Radio in session. Scuba diving. Love it. You can't do it here, though. I've done it in Tobermory, which is four is hours northwest of here. North? It's West. beautiful. It looks like you're in the Caribbean. The water really? is light blue, but it's freezing, even okay. in the height of summer. Now, wh- where would that be nearby? It's about an hour's drive north of Sobel Beach. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, Nice. And where's some of your, your, your favorite places that you've been scuba diving? So I just started a couple of years ago. Okay. And I lived on a boat in the Bahamas what? a year ago. Yes, uh, just for a week, but it was okay. great. We dove four times a day. I went diving with sharks. Okay. But like, they were, were vegetarian. Were you, in a ca- <laughs> were, you, were you in one of those cages? Or? No, just swimming around them. I was trying to chase the sharks. I think they were afraid of me. They were trying to swim away. And I was what like... What kind of sharks were these? I think they were Caribbean reef sharks. Okay. And, and they're like the mellow kind? Yeah, they were Caribbean. pretty relaxed. They probably had some reefer and stuff like that. So <laughs> Probably had some rum. They were fine. <laughs> they were chilled out. They, it, it was great, though. I loved it. Wow. That must have been amazing. Now, how is it? I know it was only for a week, but how is it living on a boat? It was great. Yeah. You're in really close quarters. Yeah. Now, I really appreciate having hallways. Okay. In real life, just because it was so small, the boat, it was great. It was about 20 of us. We went together. We dove maybe over 20 times. Wow. Even at night. And how long is a dive for? It depends on how much air you use. Meaning oh, okay. How stressed you are. The more stressed you are, the more air you use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The less you can dive. About an hour each dive. Yeah. That must have been amazing. Where else Where else have you had a chance to dive? Other than there in Tobermory, um, yeah. that's all so far. But okay. there is, uh, I'm hoping to go to Australia soon. Oh, nice. The Great Barrier Reef. Gotta see the Great Barrier Reef. Because it's disappearing, isn't it? I want to get there before it disappears, yeah. but I'm probably contributing to the disappearing. Oh, no. We won't, we won't get there. My first question to you is, um, how does somebody... So I've, I've had the chance to, to interview a lot of your coworkers... Um, and I think you are the only one that doesn't have a media background in terms of your education. Uh, I might be wrong, uh, but you did like international relations and you have a diploma from the Royal Conservatory of Music. Yeah, I definitely went another route. Yeah. And at the back of my head, I always wanted to get into broadcasting and journalism, but I thought, well, this is what everyone's going to do. Everyone's going to go to journalism school. Everyone's going to get a degree and I want to do something a little different. I want to learn about the world and uh, try to understand it. And that's why I went to U of T for international relations uh, and French as well. Okay. Uh, But I thought to myself, well, wait a minute, how do I get a foot into the door? Because it's a little more tough. So then I started uh, calling places up and then I called up 680 news and I talked to one of the managers there in charge of internships. And then I, I started interning there and I put a demo together and I was lucky enough to be hired. What were you, uh, what was your intern like? internship like it was different because i wasn't a journalism student so i was really really eager uh, to learn as much as i could about writing copy editing audio because these so you were right into it you weren't like getting coffee for people or anything like that you were like 
right into it. I don't even drink coffee, so I would probably <laughs> screw up their order. <laughs> I went right into it. I worked overnights as well to try to juggle my school life and my and, and my internship. And I, I just put a demo together one day, and I gave it to them. And I said, hey, if you're looking for someone, I'd, I'd be happy to jump in. Do you remember the first time you were on the air? I do remember the first time I was on the air. It was a little surreal hearing myself for the first time um, and, and knowing that this was the start of my career yeah. in Toronto. What, what, was, what was the first story? or, or I think I was covering a protest, actually. And okay. I remember um, driving home that evening and hearing it because it was, it was pre-recorded, so they were, they were re-airing it in the evening mm-hmm. after I left. And I just remember hearing it and going, wow, I, I can't believe uh, this is actually happening. What do, every time, so one of the things that, that I don't do as often, uh, and some people tell me I should do, is listen to these interviews that I do, these conversations. I listen to them as I'm uploading them. Um, and one of the reasons I don't is I can't stand the sound of my own voice. Um, how was it for you when you started hearing your voice coming out of a box? You know what? It's funny because I thought I sounded different. And my my friends would hear my sign off and they were like, I think I heard someone named Cindy Palm on the air. Is that you? You sound so different. And it was just, it's a little different when you hear yourself. And, and I don't know about you, but I often critique myself like, oh, I could have enunciated better. Yeah. You know, everyone does that. So well, I'm horrible at that stuff. I think everyone does that, though. Yeah. So is this your regular voice or is this your... Your your radio slash TV voice that you're speaking with. Now. I'm trying to actually have the same voice now, so I would say okay. I would say it's about the same. I'm probably mumbling a little bit less, but this is I think generally how I sound. Yeah, I okay. hope. I I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. I better c- record myself when I'm having a conversation with friends and yeah. see what it sounds like. You you also studied piano. I did. Now, is that a full-time thing? Is that in the evenings? You're bored? Like, what's, what's up oh, with that? Oh, I definitely wasn't bored. No, okay. When I was a kid, I wanted to, uh, I actually, when I was a kid, I wanted to be an athlete or a soccer player. And my mom's like, okay, we'll put you in piano. <laughs> so I started when I was about four, and then I just went through the Royal Conservatory doing exams all these all the years, and then I finally was able to get my um, pianist diploma, Okay. Um, also known as the ARCT. Um which allows me... What does that stand for? I'm not even really sure. <laughs> associate, hang on. Associate of the Royal Conservatory of Toronto. That's what it stands oh, for. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. It just sounds very fancy. That sounds, it does. But it was, it was great. So I was able to get that um, uh, done at the same time that I was at U of T. Um, okay. And yeah, so wow. I mean, it's been, it's been helpful. I haven't really touched a piano in a very long time, but it, it was great. It was great to have I mean, uh-huh. in terms of the practice and just uh, the musical background wow very very interesting what what was it about journalism you know you know you say you know you wanted to do it but you went and studied other things sort of to get sort of uh, more around education um what was it about journalism is it something that your your parents do some friends were doing what was it about it um, and actually, I, I didn't really know anyone growing up who was a journalist, and my yeah. parents certainly aren't. But it's, I think it combined my two loves, which is talking to people, okay. uh, but also doing something that I think is important. I think in a way, huh. in, in many ways, journalism sheds light on a lot of issues that that may not be in the foreground if it weren't for reporters and, and producers yeah. and editors bringing them to light. So okay. in a way, I think it is a way of trying to create change or at least um, 
bringing things into the foreground so that people can have conversations about them. Was there a, a moment in time when you said, that's what I want to do? Like, Do you remember seeing a reporter on TV or um, an article you read in a newspaper? I think when I was growing up, I just watched a lot of uh, television news. Okay. And I listened to the radio a lot and I read a lot. And I just decided I want to work with words and I want to speak to people and tell stories. So I don't think it was a particular anchor or a particular reporter who made me go, oh, I'm definitely going to be that. I just was interested in it. Mm -hmm. How hard was it when you started at uh, CFTR, you know, with no no background? I know you were a go-getter, it sounds like. But how difficult was it, you know, to push against, um, you know, that lack of experience or that lack of education that you had in the field? I almost think it, for me personally, it Uh worked to my advantage in many ways because I didn't have to do things by the book. I could do things my way just because I was never taught um, to do things in in a certain way. That's not to say that I didn't follow, you know, journalistic uh, rules, Mm -hmm. of course, uh, read my Canadian press book and everything, but it was just, it was nice to be open to new ways of doing things. Yeah. Um, I took in as much as I could. I learned from the other anchors, the other editors, and uh, I was really open to constructive criticism. And I just, I just started writing and asking people what, what they thought and, and uh, tried to get better from there. How long were you at, uh, at CFTR? I was the there family? for two years and four months. Okay. Strictly with CFTR? Did you do any... I did have some volunteering with Rogers TV York Region as well, because even okay. back then, I, I wanted to get into television, so I thought, well, it's all part of the Rogers family, might as well yeah. might as well get my foot in the door. So I volunteered as a videographer oh. um, for the news show for okay. a little bit while I was at 680. Okay, wow. Um, I, I read somewhere that uh, you covered both... One of the stories that you covered when you were at, uh, at CFTR was the G20 protests. Those were big. Yeah. Now, what was it? Was that two thousand nine? That would have been uh, yes, actually, two thousand nine or two thousand ten. They were okay. huge. Those uh, summit protests. Yeah. So set the stage for my. So I was out of town. I was in Africa. So that was twenty ten. Then it was twenty ten. Twenty ten. Yes. So I was in Africa on vacation, and I and I'm hearing as as I come back in. I don't know. Was it August? Maybe. As I'm coming back, I hear there were these G20 protests. I heard they, they made a fake Muskoka somewhere downtown. Um, and I heard a bunch of my friends got got corralled, you know, in this outdoor jail or something like that. Um, but set the scene for us about, you know, what happened and, and where you found yourself. It was tense, and it was definitely team coverage, and it lasted for a few days. So I mm-hmm. was outside, actually, that jail you were talking about. Yeah. Um, and it was... It was really interesting because it was just, it was my, one of my first times just seeing so many people together and then seeing police trying to control the crowds. And I'm sure every reporter will tell you something different depending on their location where yeah. they were covering the protests. Yeah. Some of them were, you know, right in the thick of it mm-hmm. um, downtown. But it was really my first experience seeing so many people coming together, really, really passionate, and at the same time seeing police try to control them and seeing the interaction between the two sides was uh, definitely really interesting. Mm-hmm. How do you, what, one of the questions I have for people is, is how do you, or, or maybe you don't do this, how do you remove yourself, you know, and, and say, I'm, I'm reporting on this, I'm not going to pick a side, I'm just going to tell people what I see? Well, I think viewers and readers and listeners 
can form their own opinion. And I think it's your duty mm-hmm. to give them the two sides. You know, they don't, they're not interested in what your opinion is, nor okay. should you be interested in it. Because my job at the end of the day is to tell a story in the most unbiased way possible. Mm-hmm. And then people can go and form their own opinions. So every time I'm doing interviews or writing stories, I think to myself, what's the most fair way to present this story? I, I want to be not biased at all and yeah. i and i need to and that's my it's, that's my duty and my job as a journalist mm-hmm. and, and so i mean i'm not emotionless but i don't uh, i i try not to put emotion my own emotion into into the story even though i am a human being telling the story i just think it's important that uh, you remove yourself in a way um but at the same time not lose yourself is it hard it's tough sometimes, especially when there are tragic stories or touching stories. But at the end of the day, um, you, you know, you, you have a duty to tell the best story possible. Mm-hmm. And that means telling it in a non-biased way. I'd be a really bad reporter. <laughs> I don't believe it. <laughs> oh, definitely. I've got too many opinions. Um, and so here's one of my opinions in, in terms of, um, you know, making sure that you tell both sides of the story. Um, and, and, it, and it came up with the, the U.S. election where, um, as an observer, it seemed that um, a, a lot of news organizations were falling over themselves to make sure that they did as much as possible to present uh, a fair and balanced um, perspective of, of what was happening uh, during, during the election down in the States. Um, and so they would... Focus in on what was so. So as 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 Donald Trump was falling over himself and doing everything he could to ensure that he didn't get elected, and the media was covering that. Uh, from my perspective, in order to balance it, they would take a look at Hillary and say, okay, "How could we balance it?" And the only thing it seemed that they were balancing it with was emails. So while every week, every day, Donald Trump was. There was something new and something different and something funny and something really strange about what he was doing. It was always emails with Hillary. And as I was looking at this, in hindsight, I'm going, that's not fair and balanced, right? It's like there was one email or or one set of emails that was on a public server versus dozens and dozens of things uh, that Donald Trump was doing. Um, So that's my opinion. (laughs) So you feel uh, it was um, a forced balance. I, I feel it was forced and I feel that it wasn't balanced at all because as you're focusing on one thing over and over and over again, you lend credibility to that argument and you just build on top of that one thing versus literally dozens, if not hundreds of things uh, that Donald Trump had done or was doing or had said. Um, and it seemed that it was just different things all the time with Donald, but it was always one thing. With Hillary, so it was easier for people to get it in their mind that oh, there's this one thing that's really bad about Hillary; she's crooked because of the emails. With Donald, you could pick a dozen things, but everyone remembered the one thing. See, that's so interesting because if you talk to his supporters, yeah, I think they would argue that it, the media was biased against him. Sure, sure, so, fair enough. So it, it's really interesting to, to see the differing perspectives. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you, what's your opinion on that? But you know. I'm trying to be as non-biased as possible. Yeah. Um, why, why were there, in, you know, as, as you look back at the G20 uh, summit, we'll come back to Donald Trump. Don't worry. All right. Sure. Um, but as, as you, you know, whenever you do look back, um, why was there so much public anger and protest? I think 
it's the reaction people feel when they feel that there's a lot of inequality, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to big corporations um, and multinational corporations mm-hmm. and uh, the financial inequality that they feel. Uh, I think that the, a lot of people who came out, they felt like uh, they were struggling to get by, struggling just to pay rent. Um, and and it was really a, a reaction to the inequalities uh, that they saw. Uh-huh. And and I think when you what you get uh, oftentimes is uh, when you have a, a passionate you know, crowd of people, sometimes that can really grow and grow and grow. And and sometimes in some cases, um, depending on how police act as well, you, you can become emotionally charged even more depending on the response sure. of the other side. Yeah. Did they over? Um, did the police react in in a, in a fair and equitable manner? You feel. It depends on where you were. There okay. were definitely a lot of different protests, and yeah. um, there were some colleagues who were really caught literally in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm sure they would have a different perspective. Uh, and there were all those media reports yeah. of just uh, the questionable actions of, of, of some members of the police force. Uh, where I was outside uh, the jail on the days that I covered it, yeah. um, from my perspective... The days that I covered it, it, it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was violent at all. There was certainly a lot of anger, uh-huh. but they tried to keep it under control. Yeah. But uh, it really does depend on where you were physically. It just, I don't know what I would have done if I was in Toronto at that time, but it just sounds weird that in Canada, in Toronto, that it could be possible to protest, and as a result of protesting, you end up in jail. It. I mean, it's definitely something that I don't think people here are used to, especially because you know protests happen all the time, and freedom of speech is something that people yeah um, that people cherish yeah a lot. So it's definitely something that, and that's the reason why we're talking about it seven years later as well. True, true. Um, but not to be outdone, I think that year was also the mayoral election, or maybe it was the year after. Oh, the election of Rob Ford. Rob Ford, an interesting man. Yes. Um, I, I understand now how he got elected. <laughs> now you, know, you understand. Uh, I think I understood back then as well that, that you know, people are just looking. And, and it's strange. Um, I think as a counselor, he was probably good. Uh, I, I'm sure he was good. I, th- I think the role of a counselor is much, much different than the role of a mayor. Well, one of the things that you often hear, um, one of the reasons that people, that people, uh, that Rob Ford appealed to them was that he would personally answer phone calls. Yeah. And I think it was that personable touch that people appreciated because they saw him as being different than other politicians. And I think they appreciated yeah. um, that change. They, they saw him as being one of them. And, yeah. and I think that's, uh, and I've covered... I've gone to uh, his summer barbecues, the annual barbecue that yeah, he would have. And I've Fest. seen Ford Fest, and I've seen his 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 supporters there, and it's to that for them they see him as someone who's real and not your typical politician. Yeah, um, and and that I think was part of his appeal. Yeah, I don't want my mayor returning my phone call. <laughs> no, no, I, I would like my counselor to return my phone calls. Or my emails. He finally did. Norm is my counselor. Norm Kelly. Yeah, yeah. So you I didn't said, tweet at Norm? Oh, I've tweeted at him. I've emailed him. He's had his people call me. 
Um, yeah, then he emailed. So he's emailed me personally after he got his people to call me. Well, there you go. He's personable as well. Yeah. But that's not really what you're interested in. No, no. See, I, I, I want FaceTime with my counselor. My mayor I know is busy. He better be busy, right? He, um, I had a Cub Scout meeting last night, but I hope he was at the Scarborough debates that the they had about the debates. subway. Yeah. Yes. Um, and we'll talk about that as well, um, for sure. But let's, let's get back to Rob Ford. Um, he gets elected. Did you cover his whole term in office? Uh, I was there for a lot of it. Oh, gosh. I've spoken to with Rob Ford. I spoke to him so many times. Yeah. Uh, when he was when he was elected, when he ran for re-election, mm-hmm. and, all, and also when he went through his difficult yeah. time with his illness. Yeah. Um, and I've talked to his, his brother, Doug, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, a couple weeks ago, um, during the almost close to the one-year anniversary of the book. They had passing. a book launch. Get another dinner. There was a lot. There was also the um, that controversial movie that will be uh, coming out soon. That's supposed to. Yeah, I'm. I'm still shocked that he um, that the police aren't investigating Doug Ford's comments to um, to the producers or the whoever made the movie because he threatened them on TV. Uh, and nothing's been done, as far as I know. He said a few outspoken things. I know that when I spoke with him, uh, he 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 heavily he didn't threaten them when I when I spoke to them. He was mm-hmm. just criticizing the producers and saying, sure. "How dare you, you know, make a movie like this?" Especially since my brother has now passed. Yeah, I've got no time for the Ford brothers. I can tell. Yes, yes, Be- because. You know, it, there's there's a number of things. So before he got elected, I thought I thought I thought he was a joke to be a, to be a, a mayoral candidate um, because he didn't have the qualities to to, to lead a city, uh, to be a counselor, to to call people, uh, to knock on doors, uh, to help people get their local issues solved. Fantastic, great, uh, but for someone to lay down a vision for a a world-class city and to build a city, the wrong person, the absolute wrong. Anyone who, um, so the wrong person in terms of his, his politics, um, in terms of, you know, who he was as in totally wrong. And, and we saw it from, you know, when he was a counselor um, on, on how he spoke about people. Um, you know, it's, there's one thing to, um you know, to, if, if, if somebody has a podcast like this and me to pontificate, but if, if I've got, does, you know, if, if I wanted to be a counselor or a mayor, there's certain things, certain ways, a certain way that I need to behave. So it's the way he people. carries himself. Yeah, I, th- I thought was totally bombastic and, and not something that, um, not the qualities that, that, I, that I think a mayor should have. Um, and then just everything that, that he did or didn't do. Right? Did he save money? I, I don't know. Uh, my taxes never went down. Um, transit isn't better off um, today than it was when when he left. Um, there, there's there's nothing that's moved the city forward. Um, so that's my thoughts um, on, on Rob Ford and, and his brother's no different. You can't. One thing that I always believed in: you can't run a city the way you run a company. The, the goal of a company is obviously to make profit. Uh, 
the goal of a city should not ever be to make profit. It should be to provide, to ensure that there is a city that people find livable. There should be bi- as many bike lanes as there, are, as there are streets. There should be uh, beautiful parks in every neighborhood that are safe. Um, there should be education for people. Uh, there should be adequate housing for everybody. Um, libraries should be open. Um, there should be librarians in libraries. Um, people should make decisions not that are politically based, uh, but that make sense, right? There, there, there should not be a six-kilometer um, subway with one stop at Scarborough Town Center. Ah, so you are against that. You prefer it, the LRT. I prefer that. I live in Scarborough, and I've lived in Scarborough since I was in grade five. Um, and there should be proper transit. And proper transit is not a one subway stop. But here's the thing. Yeah. Could that one... I know it, it's almost $4 billion. Yeah. Uh, it's a big price tag. That's, yeah. That includes the cost of the underground bus stop. But, uh, but here's the thing. Even though it's just one stop right now, do you think that the city could then build on that in the future and have a whole underground system? There should be that now. There shouldn't be, let's build one and figure it out later. But the other option they have is the LRT. Hey, transit is transit. Like, I'm not someone that says we need a subway because everyone else says it. I couldn't care less the mode of transportation for me to get to places. Um, I don't take the transit as much because I work much closer uh, to home. The only transit I'll take now is if I come here downtown um, or if uh, I don't have the car, um, you know, and, and I'll, I'll take just literally one bus. A subway, one, that one subway will not make a lick of difference to me. Uh, but if I take a look at it practically and what's going to make a difference to more people, it is having uh, rapid transit. That rapid transit could be whatever. It could be dedicated bus lanes. It could be... Um, above ground subway slash um, streetcar slash rapid transit it could be a subway underground to me it doesn't matter to me it's it's how can you um, move the most people um, in, in a safe and, and quick manner and and you want it now you well heck soon if, if we yeah if we had implemented transit city oh god how long ago was that Eight years ago, years. if we had implemented that, that 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 would be now that we would be experiencing that today. But we're still arguing uh, about subways, and the reason we're arguing about subways is because of Rob Ford, because everyone was afraid of Rob Ford in Scarborough. Um, he had huge backing in Scarborough. All the councillors wanted to make sure they got reelected because he was threatening everybody. He says you you know he was already making calls; those robocalls were already in place. Um, and people voted for that because they were afraid of Rob Ford and they knew their constituents loved Rob Ford rather than making the decisions that someone like Councillor Ainsley is making these days in terms of, guys, let's be smart about this and not just agree to this one subway because it's the fastest thing to do right now. Well, it's definitely interesting um, yeah. because uh, Mayor Toy had said uh, a little while ago, LRT isn't even on the table. His executive committee had okayed the one-stop subway, and now there's a there's a big debate because a lot of councillors actually feel quite vocal, uh, are are vocal against mm-hmm. um, in, against the one-stop subway, and would prefer to see 
uh, yeah. the LRT in place. So absolutely. But it's it, when you, I mean, Toronto is is trying to be, uh, you know, uh, compete with other big cities around the world. Yeah. Um, and and but if you look at a map compared to let's say the the subway subway lines in New York, sure, or in London, it just looks so simple, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, so if you compare it to to cities in similar size, so I had a chance a few years ago, Chicago maybe. Um, I don't know. I've never been to hmm. Chicago. I've been to Taiwan. I've been to Taipei. Similar size as Toronto. Their subway system is outstanding. Like all its subways are going all over the city. Um, and so I, I remember asking someone, they said, how do you guys get this built? Um, and they say, once a decision is made, you can't go back on it. Like, I said, what if there's another mayor? So it doesn't matter. It's law. You can't change it. It's done. Um, so I just wish that. Um, so if you take the, the politics out of it. Right. And say, OK, we need LRTs and subways and more bus routes and more bike lanes and and just better transit for everybody. Um, and then you lay down that plan, and then that's it. Go on to figure out other things. It is pretty crazy that um, the city that, I mean, it's so big, and it's continuing to grow, and we're still arguing about the best yeah. the best way to move people. Uh, do you think there would be you know, more lines? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Let's get back to Rob Ford. <laughs> we can make uh, this whole conversation you, about Rob Ford. I know. Are you going to watch the movie? Sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will watch it. Um, I'm not going to go. There, there's certain movies. I, I mean, I don't, I'm not going to go out of my way to see it. I mean, you know, um, it doesn't matter to me either way. But, you know, if it, if it comes on Netflix, I'll watch it. For sure. <laughs> As a Netflix paid subscriber, I will watch that. Um, are you going to watch it? Um, I might watch it, but... Yeah. I think I might be in the same boat as you. If it's if it's if it's on Netflix, yeah, and it happens to be there, and I, I and I'm bored on a Saturday night, sure, I'll sure I'll take a look. But I don't think I would go out of my way necessarily no. to to go and in, into a theater or something to yeah. pay to watch it. It's not the next Star Wars movie. It's not, you know, the next Marvel movie. Um, no, no, <laughs> it is not. <laughs> It's not John Wick three, um, so yeah. So I'm not going to go out of my way to see it. So if my it's son close though, yeah. If my son doesn't want to see it, it's hard for me to go to movies. So I don't know if your son. How old is your son? He's eleven. Okay, probably not the type of movie for him. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, as as you were covering um, Rob Ford and Doug Ford, um, you know what struck you about them that you think most people didn't see or didn't know. I think they're very different, actually, Rob Ford and Doug Ford. I would say um, Doug Ford holds back a little bit more. I think Rob Ford, the way you see him on TV or the way he presents himself yeah. is actually what he appears to be like yeah. uh, off camera as well. I think Doug Ford is a little bit, he he holds back a little bit more. Maybe he's a little bit, um, a little bit more filtered. So okay. I think people tend to see them both as maybe the same because they're the Ford brothers. But I actually think they're a little bit different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think that uh, Doug is going to take a run at it? If you were a betting woman. If I was, who says I'm not a betting woman? Okay. <laughs> I, you know, I would not, I wouldn't be surprised. Okay. Um, I think politics is in his blood. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I'm sure he's, he's busy with his business as well. Is he? I, I did an interview with him about the Rob Ford movie, and I, and I met him in, out in Etobicoke at his okay. uh, Deco 
um, deco labels, deco labels, uh, business, business place. I mean, I didn't really ask him how long he spends there, Yeah. but I'm sure, you know, he's, he's got kids, he's got a family. Yeah. But, uh, I wouldn't, I definitely would not be surprised Yeah. if he did. I think there's still a lot of support for him. You know, I, I still see those coordination bumpers on cars. I think there's support for the last name. There definitely is support. I mean, for Michael last name. Michael Ford is that his name? Michael Ford, yes, um, the counselor. You just had to have that last name, and he's in. You just it literally had to be related, and he's in. He's a young guy. Yeah, yeah. there's uh, there's definitely a lot of pull uh, behind that name, and there's definitely a brand behind that name too. Yeah, that's for sure. I feel sorry for Ford Motor Company. <laughs> I'm sure they're doing fine. Yeah, I'm sure you know as as they're measuring their. Um, performance on social media during those days and they go there's a lot of negative chatter about ford i, I hate ford i, I wonder, wonder why <laughs> hmm, what did we do we make good cars when when did you leave 680 news i left 680 news in 2011 yeah. early 2011 okay i wanted to work in uh television yeah um, that was kind of the goal from volunteering with rogers tv so i thought what's the best way to do that and then of course there was a a little startup uh, mm-hmm. network, and I thought, uh, why not give it a try? So you joined Sun News. Yes, I uh, did. What were you? What What was your role there at Sun? Uh, so I started there actually as a uh, kind of did everything, jack of all trades, okay. as a writer, as an editor. Um, but I was given the shot to go on air. I think um, immediately, pretty immediately. Yeah. Uh, and and so I was uh, reporting as unbiased, uh, unbiased I should add, um, and, and writing and editing. So doing everything. At Sun News, you were unbiased. I, you know what? Actually, it's funny. I have to. Everyone's like, "Oh my God!" It was. Um, it must have been uh, quite interesting working there. I I actually uh, was because I was working on the weekends, and even though people hate working on the weekends, it's a blessing in disguise because there's. You know, there's there's no one breathing down your neck or, uh-huh. you know, pressuring you to uh, tell stories in a certain way or at least or even dictating the type of stories you would cover. So we had a lot of freedom. OK, so uh, I covered a lot of a lot of different stories um, and it, it was you know what? No knock against sun. I love the people there. I learned a lot there. Yeah. I learned how to edit, how to write for television. But I also knew that ultimately um, I did want to find a new home. And a new place to tell stories, um, mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, uh, I wanted to tell um, different types of stories and and work in an environment where you know there wasn't pressure. Tell, to... tell me about that. Tell me about that pressure. Um, yeah, I mean, it was the type of thing where even though I was you know, telling stories in an unbiased way, uh, if, if you looked at the type of stories that they were you know covering on the weekdays, mm-hmm. a, a lot of it there was definitely. I would say uh, the types of stories that they were covering, there, there was definitely an angle uh, to them. You know, there was a lot of talk about the Keystone Pipeline. Uh, there was a lot about American politics. And ultimately, at the end of the day, I wanted to go somewhere where um, there wasn't a lot of controversy and where I was free to tell whatever stories I wanted, yeah. as opposed to covering specific stories. So you were given files, I guess, or assignments... Oh yeah, there were certain stories that they would cover a lot, yeah. like the pipeline, like you know certain political stories, and but I just they, wanted the opportunity to cover everything. And do they tell you, you know, for example, with Keystone, 
if you talked about that, did they tell you, you know, how to cover it or for me, did they give you direction or I push was, you in certain ways? I was lucky that they didn't push me, but okay. I know that I wasn't one of the the hosts. And especially if you're the host of a talk show, uh, I, I'm sure for them it would have been different. But for me, because I was on uh, the day side and I was doing news in the day as opposed to in the evening on the talk shows, mm-hmm. it was a little different. But nonetheless, you know, there is a certain reputation. And I, yeah. and I look, it was a great experience, um, but I also knew that I, I needed a new home. And I was lucky enough to, um, to find my way to Global. You didn't go to Rebel Media. I did not go to Rebel Media. No, no. I almost put in my resume, though. (laughs) You were not asked? They begged. Did they beg? They were like, please, (laughs) please come over. Um, Tell me, you know what? There's this one story you covered while you were there that for some reason I never gravitated towards or I never hooked onto it and really understood it. Um, there's a documentary that's on Netflix and I've got it saved as something that I should watch. But this whole Amanda Knox trial, what was that about and why was it so um, divisive? Oh, it was, you know, I was fascinated by this trial personally as well. Uh, Look, I think that there were so many factors there. There's an American, a beautiful American uh, young woman who goes off overseas to Italy, studies there, and then there's the mystery of who killed her roommate, Meredith Kircher. And you, you've got the American media that's interested. You've got the international media, the Italian media. And I think people just gravitated toward it because it was a mystery. It involved a young American woman who many people can relate to, um, who was facing this really long sentence. Uh-huh. There was DNA on the knife. It looked like someone had staged a break-in into the home. You know, Amanda Knox and her then-boyfriend had um, blamed it on some local guy who wasn't even in the house that day. He had an alibi. Um, So I think it was just, there were so many different pieces to it Mm -hmm. that really caught people's attention. Um, And and I think a lot of it, too, was because she was a, a, you know, an American young woman, and a lot of people go overseas to study, and I think a lot of people could maybe relate to her and it was also there were discussions too like did she do it didn't she do it and i just i think it's one of those topics that you kind of talk she about got off right she did at first she didn't um and she spent time in prison there mm-hmm. but then um the case was brought forward again and then she ended up getting off and she's now uh back in the u.s and there's a new documentary about her but i haven't actually watched it on, on netflix i think that's yeah, the yeah one. that's the one yeah, yeah i haven't watched it yet i have it um, saved and you know i should i should take some time to watch that i don't know i definitely i definitely have an opinion about yes <laughs> tell me i now this is my personal opinion yeah, yeah, yeah i personally think i mean the evidence is overwhelming i think she did it wow. i really do think she did it um you know she said that she and her boyfriend weren't even home at the time she had blamed it on some other guy who had an alibi and wasn't there uh, it, it, the police investigated and said that it was staged like uh, someone had uh, it was staged like a break-in but it wasn't actually a break-in there were just so many pieces to it yeah if she didn't do it she knows she definitely knows what happened was there like a motive that they talked about during the case well i know that there was i don't know what kind of freakish games were going on there Whoa. but it, it seemed like there was there was something going on there um, I don't know if uh, how how involved Meredith Kircher was the the woman who who was killed, um, but who knows? I mean, hmm. 
it was just but that's that's my own um non you know interesting yeah that was my own opinion but um it, it's just one of those cases where you know even if you have a little bit of reasonable doubt there was a lot of criticism that the italian police had botched the case and botched the evidence and if you're not 100 percent certain you know would you rather have someone who's innocent behind bars or someone guilty out hmm. it's a hard one isn't it yeah and why why are those the only choices I mean, in, in this case, if you feel that she, if there's even an ounce of her being innocent, yeah, was the DNA planted? Did they make? Was there any arguments about that? I don't, I don't think so. I, but I think that there wasn't. Uh, so there was criticism that the Italian investigators had botched the case, and there wasn't enough DNA evidence. It was just, it was one of those cases where, um, because of all the things that were done wrong, I mean. They had to reopen the case. That's why. That's why I went back to trial. Yeah, I went back to trial. Okay. Um, and, and one of the arguments they made was that um, they just didn't do their jobs properly. Hmm. I know you've, you volunteered at Rogers TV, which sort of um, made the jump to Sun easier in terms of being in, in, in camera. But was there a lot of learning? Like, was there a massive learning curve? Uh, did you mess up a lot? What was it? What was that experience? I like? was perfect. Didn't mess <laughs> up at all. I would say that uh, it was great. Look, TV is different than radio for sure. Yeah, but ultimately, yeah. at the end of the day, I love starting in radio because it gives you a base, right? You're able to talk to people, yeah. comfortable um, hearing hearing yourself being recorded. And then television, the on-camera part, was just an added layer on top of that. So I actually like starting off in radio. And I didn't find the transition to TV was too, too different. I mean, obviously, it's different, but... Mm -hmm. But I enjoyed it. So uh, it was definitely a lot to learn. But at the same time, it's something that I always knew that I, I wanted to do. And uh, so I just uh, I just stuck with it. With with radio, when you heard your voice you were, and, and when your friends heard your voice, it was like, is that Cindy? Right. On TV, how was that? <laughs> They're like, is that Cindy? Because uh, <laughs> with my added makeup and everything. Um yeah, it was definitely different, but you know how much makeup we wear on air. It's it's exhausting putting on all that makeup um, every day. But yeah, it was definitely different. I would I would get messages from people like, "Hey, I think I saw you on TV," or sometimes I'll walk into a store or something. I walked into the uh, store the other day, and there was a, I guess um, she's like a global news viewer. I, was, I walked into a department store, okay. and she saw me and recognized me, and she was like, "You look younger in real life." <laughs> yeah. She looked better in real life. I was like, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> nice. You should tell like your makeup people, listen, I don't need all that stuff. <laughs> but it's it's more, I guess, for, is it, a, like, why is there so much makeup? Even the men wear a lot of makeup, The right? men do wear powder, yes. Is it because lighting and it just, it, there's no glare? Like, what's yeah, all that Yeah, it's lighting. It's how shine you are. You got to yeah. make sure that grease is gone. And I think it's just, um, you know, it, it's like people on TV, actors, actresses, anyone on TV. I think there's just, uh, you know, there's there's a... I think just when everyone else does it, you just do it too. Wouldn't it be great though if no one wore makeup and we just all, or maybe not, if we all just went on air <laughs> without any makeup and that was the new standard? Hey, I'm all for it. Yeah, sure. The men don't wear as much makeup as women. You know, you don't see them wearing eyeshadow or eyeliner or lipstick. They do have the the powder, but uh, I I also know reporters, uh, men who who don't wear any makeup as well. Yeah. And so I thought, why maybe maybe women should do the same. Sure. Next, well, next time, this week when you go back on air. Tomorrow. tomorrow. No makeup. No makeup. 
I'll see if I still have a job. <laughs> um, the leap to global. Um, how was that? It was good. So at Sun, my priority was to soak up as much as I could yeah. and then get my demo together. And then I sent it um, to the uh, managing editor at the time. And I basically begged him for a job. Didn't get down on my, you know, I didn't, uh, I, I wasn't calling him um, every week, but I just, I was just stay positive And I was like, hey, if there's an opening, uh-huh. here's my demo. Take a look, please. And and then we just stayed in touch, and then and then as as uh, as luck would have it, and it was great timing. I uh, was offered a reporting gig there. So, and this would have been at the end of 2012. Okay. So I've been there for over four years. All right. Mm-hmm. And um, what what was the what was the first story that you covered? Oh gosh, the first story that I covered. At, you know what? I don't remember the first story I covered at Global. Okay. I don't remember the first story I covered. Do at you re- do? Is is there a favorite story that you have, or most memorable one? Yeah, there is actually, and um, it was a story I did with a young woman. Um, she had she was really ill, Fatima Bag. Um, I actually just did an interview with her the other day because she's now a journalism student, so she wanted to interview me. Oh um, wow! Yeah, this was a couple years ago. She was very very ill. She needed a new liver, and so we How followed old her was story. She then? Um, she was uh, she was young though, so this was a few years ago. She was okay. a, a teenager, um, uh-huh. and she's Southeast Asian. Okay, um, and so uh, and the story was about how a lot of members of the Southeast Asian community are not organ donors, and she and her mom were organ donor advocates, and they want to get out there and spread oh, the message. Ooh, interesting, because she had a very particular. She needed uh, because of her height and her age, she needed. Um, the donor to kind of match her. Uh-huh. Um, and so she was an organ um, donor advocate. She was going out there trying to, you know, um, um, try to convince as many people as she could about the importance of it. And so we, oh, so I followed her on her journey. And then, lo and behold, um, there was someone who matched her description in, in weight and in height and in age, um, someone who had passed away, um, he was ill as well, and so they they were a match, and so she ended up getting that liver. And then the story, the follow up story we did was she actually went to visit the organ donor's mother. Wow! And we were there um, when they reunited, and it was uh, it was really emotional. Um, the organ donor's mother was crying, and and Fatima was smiling and hugging her, and it was it was a great story because you know that's an example of a really emotional story that yeah. we were proud to tell, but it also highlighted a big issue. Uh, which is um, the lack of organ donation in certain communities. Um, so it, and that's something that Fatima has been trying to change. And is, do you know if she's still advocating for that? She is advocating for it. Mm-hmm. Um, she's now a journalism student, and she hopes to get into broadcasting. So I actually did an interview with her uh, this past weekend. She interviewed you. She interviewed me, so the table's turned. Yeah. Um, and I think that is one of the most memorable stories I've done, because it, and that's an example of an important story, an emotional story. And yeah. just, uh, you know, and at the end of the day, a uh, good outcome for her. Um, did you find out why certain communities don't um, donate their organs? Um, I think a lot of it has to do with awareness, and okay. um, and and it often has to do with your your family members. You know, did you, your parents or are they organ donors? Uh-huh. It's something that runs in the family, uh, and so I think it's something that Fatima is is trying to change, um, and and get more people to become donors. I never thought about that. I have had liver surgery. 
You have? Yeah, so I didn't, I didn't get a liver replacement. Okay. Yeah, but I had liver surgery. And what does that entail? Um, uh, it entails like them cutting you up. Okay. And cutting out the bad stuff and then sewing you back up. It, and yeah. your liver, it, it starts to regenerate? It, it do, yeah, it's, it's one of the only, if not the only, um, internal organ that regenerates itself. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's really cool. I'd love to chat with her. Yeah, she's uh, great. Yeah. She's great. Okay. Um, what, what other... What other stories uh, have you covered there? I don't want to get back to Rob for because I know you probably no. covered him um, when you were there as well. Gosh, there have been so many great stories. Uh, there was another story I covered a couple years ago. But it was about this teenager, Canadian teen, who went to Kenya because she has family there. Uh-huh. Remember that Westgate Mall terror attack that happened in Nairobi? Yes. So she was actually um, she was actually there in the mall when it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, there was gunfire. Uh, and she ended up losing part of her leg uh, and her foot to it. Canadian? So we, Canadian, yeah. Fardosa Abdi is her name. And um, and she she and her sister were actually in the mall at the time. Um, so we followed her journey there. Um, and we followed her journey when she came back to Toronto. She was given a lot of treatment and care at Sunnybrook Hospital. Wow. Um, and so we did a few different stories with her. And just seeing her strength and her resilience and her positivity throughout the whole thing was quite touching. Um, I remember I was there when she was in the recovery room and another high school, a teenager at another high school who she didn't even know had uh-huh. made her a big get well card and oh, put her so signatures nice. in it and she was just reading it. And it was just, uh, you know, for someone who, for a young woman who lost her, you know, lost her leg uh, in something that was so traumatic, it was, uh, you know, it was a story of resilience it's and crazy. Uh, how things overseas can really uh, yeah. you know, affect Canadians. So I, so two cousins of mine brother and sister uh so uh the brother uh was in one of the towers at 9-11 went out for a coffee when that happened um and then his sister was in westgate mall when that happened um and she got out and and i remember seeing footage of when I don't know I don't know if it was when the police finally came I don't know if it was hours later yeah many hours later and you can see her running across oh she was probably camp. in her video yeah it was uh, crazy she yeah like brother and sister wow. in two two of the buildings that um, that terrorist attacked. And they both survived to yeah, tell the tale. So yeah. had your brother not gone out for that? Yeah, if her brother hadn't gone out for coffee that, that one day, who knows? Wow. It's just crazy, just like, you know, small decisions. And I, I remember being at Westgate Mall when we were in Africa in 2010. Um, you know, very trendy place. I remember sitting outside for coffee there. I remember being in that mall. Um, it's just nuts. My aunt was actually in um, the Twin Towers. Oh. When it, she worked there. Um and when the plane hit, I remember she was telling the story later. Um, she was able to okay. get out that um, she thought it was an earthquake. You know, no, who would have thought that a plane would run into a building? So um, the building was being evacuated. She actually changed from her high heels because that was what she wore to the office. Into she happened to have a pair of running shoes nearby, so she changed into running shoes and was able to get out. But just uh, it, it's one of those experiences that it's hard for her to talk about now. I can imagine. Mm-hmm. 
You weren't in media back then, were you? I wasn't. Uh, I was a lot younger then, actually. Okay. So I was uh, still uh, in school. But I remember watching CNN. And mm-hmm. I remember when they broke into programming, because um, they were in commercial, uh, when it hit. And it was just, it was just unbelievable. Um, you know, it was, it's surreal, right? When you, when you see live pictures and planes yeah. running into the buildings, it's just, and, and, and to this day, I love covering breaking news and, and, and stories that are constantly changing all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, it does, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's an honor in many ways to be able to kind of tell stories and report the news, especially when people, you know, want to know and need to know what is going on. You're the voice to yeah. kind of provide that step by step. Have you had that opportunity to uh, to break news? Um, lots, actually. I yeah. uh, I covered the the case of um, Sammy Yatim, actually, the teenager who was shot by that Toronto police Ooh, officer on the streetcar. Nuts. Yes, caught on cell phone video. And I remember Global News. We did a live stream, um, a live video stream online. So it was actually on the air, talking live nonstop. Yeah. For about two hours, wow. and because we were awaiting the verdict, awaiting the verdict, you know, would James Frasilla be found okay, guilty or okay. innocent? So yeah. I was bringing on a lot of analysts, and we were talking and talking. You know, those things. It, it takes court sometimes. It takes a while for them to hand down the verdict so we didn't know when it would uh, when it would come down so they were like Cindy just just talk and so I was like okay sure and I loved it uh, and then uh, once we found out that uh, what had happened uh, broke the news on our on, online uh-huh. on the global news video page and that was you know that was it was a thrill to talk for two hours um, he ended up being found guilty of attempted murder which is mm-hmm. interesting um, um, I say I'm a team he died but um and it was, I kind of love those moments, those breaking news moments and just being live on the air. Yeah. Um, a couple of things that I want to uh, get your opinion on. Um, actually, we've covered a lot of things I want to talk about, but women in media, and, and maybe specifically, um, you're, you're a visible minority. Um, have you have you faced um, you know whether it's I don't know if, if discrimination is the right word uh, at work trying to break in um, online comments um, is is there more for you to think all these questions I want to throw at you oh gosh um, actually I, I do have a story I I, I covered a story once and um, the person who the story was about. Um, wrote me a text message, and I didn't even know it was. It's he wrote, they had your number. Yeah, he had my number because we had done so many interviews. So wrote me a message and wrote um, wrote see you next Tuesday <laughs> on the message. I was like, what are you talking about? Oh my god! Um, so I don't know if if I were a male reporter, uh-huh. if that would have happened. But I've gotten that a couple times actually in my reporting. But I just brush it off. Because what does look, that mean, see you next Tuesday? Oh, it's... Well, that's what I said to him. Yeah. I was like, what does it mean, see you next Tuesday? And then he was like, put all the letters together. Oh, I got it. And then I, I actually had to ask him, I'm like, because you... I was like, what, what are you talking about? And I then, got oh, it. got it afterwards. So I've gotten that a couple times. Um, and to me, I just I just brushed off. Look, people are going to react the way they re- that they react. Um, would they have said that if I wasn't a woman? No. Would they have... Exactly. But... At the same time, you know, what can you do? I'm just going to do my job, and I'm yeah. I'm, I'm just going to do the do, best that I can. Do could you talk to your your um, your male associates and and coworkers and like do they get text messages? Or, I, don't, or, or, I should ask them if they get text messages too. Yeah, 
Um, I don't know if I, I, I don't. That's a good question. I don't yeah. know if they would. They probably wouldn't get that message. But it, that's a good question for me to ask them. Like, will certain people not talk to you because you're a woman or because you're Asian or anything like that? Hmm. I I force everyone to talk to me. Okay. Um, but I don't think I've ever had any resistance. But you never know. Sometimes, right? I mean, I don't think anyone's going to come out to say, yeah. I'm not going to talk to you because you're a woman or because of your race yeah. but um i think i've been pretty fortunate that most people have have talked to me but uh but you know sometimes when you get comments like that there's nothing you can do but just try to brush them aside and move on to do your job and, and from my perspective the angrier they get it mm-hmm. means you're doing something right because they obviously you know don't want to answer the questions that you're asking yeah is it much to do about nothing or or is there systemic bias in, in, in media against women or against minorities? Um, in, in terms of people we interview? In terms of, uh, you know, maybe the reporters or in terms of who gets to anchor, um, you know, who gets the, the best stories, the best mm-hmm. assignments, that sort of thing. No, I, I would say at Global News in particular, um, I've been lucky to get some incredible stories. So I don't think it's, um, okay. you know, my race or my background has held me back. Um, but I will say, though, if you, if you look at the media landscape in general, uh-huh. um, I would say that there are more and more reporters or visible minorities you see on television. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, Farah Nasser. Um, yes. Is Can the... you please talk to her and get her? to come and see me i will text i know she's her. busy right now like she does evening right i will she knows she should be down by six thirty. i will text her and i will tell her personally yes and i'll, I'll tell her in person tomorrow when i see her too she told me to contact haley so i've told haley okay yeah she's but great tell farah yeah i will i'll tell her you said hello yeah tell her we're, the, we're, we're people like you know we're the same <laughs> people farah and i okay but but I think that uh, you know you're seeing more and more. But people. she anch- she anchors the evening. She news, anchors right? the five thirty. She's the main anchor yeah. for the five thirty. That's phenomenal. Yeah, she's wonderful. Yeah. Really, really good on air. Really natural on air, mm-hmm. uh, and a lovely person as well. Yeah. So I would say that you, you're seeing more and more people of uh, of different backgrounds um, on air. But uh, I, I I guess I don't really think I don't really think about either my gender or my race maybe i should but i, I don't really think about it i just think about the job that well, that's I have a to good do. thing that's a good is thing it? Then, right i guess it's a good thing yeah, i just yeah. doesn't really you don't have to constantly think about oh this guy's gonna think i'm asking this because of that or or, or whatever mm-hmm. right i think that's a good thing then yeah i always think from where i said i always think that women have it bad always and minorities always have it bad um but it's yeah. good to hear that things have, things are working out. Or at for least you. maybe I'm just not thinking about it and I have it bad and just like pu- pushing that aside. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say you know uh, that it's you know it's it's easy or it's a breeze, mm-hmm. um, but I just try not to think about it. And, and I figure if you're if you get good and, and you just do the best that you can, that mm-hmm. that maybe people will pay a little less attention yeah. to all of that. Sure. But maybe that's just my brain telling me to stay positive. Yeah. Thank you so much for this thank you this has been a pleasure we should do this every day she want well we could set it up <laughs> all right after far comes on though all right <laughs>